Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another version of Bill Barker's Braille Radio Reading Room, another edition. And this is a program where we use Braille for reading by persons who are totally blind or those of us who are blessed with partial vision, but find Braille best and easiest to use. And we hope you had a good month in whatever activities you may have been involved. To those of you who are homebound, sincerely hope that your activities have gone well and that you're also uh, doing well. Today's theme for this particular program is based on legacies, real and to a degree imagined, and also, of course, we observe the season of the year. And speaking of which, it uh, is Valentine's, and so whether you're listening at the beginning, middle, or end of the month, indeed, we hope that your Valentine's is a good one. There are other great um, observances in February. Uh, We have, uh, in some of the states, Lincoln's Day, of course, and then President's Day, where all the presidents are recognized. We used to celebrate Washington's Day all by itself on the 22nd, but that has changed to the third Monday in February, now called President's Day. And, of course, there are unofficial holidays like uh, Groundhog Day on the 2nd of February, and so on and so forth. So, let's begin the reading of this program with a couple of Valentine offerings, first by Joy Bell Burgess, simply called The Valentine. The Valentine you gave to me is like a summer rose, a glow with all the warmth and love and sweetness in each fold. The treasured gift you gave to me is like a winter fire, with words of love and thought and rhyme that breathe sweet desire. The token fair you gave to me is like a spring bouquet, adorned with blue forget-me-nots and ribbons bright and gay. The valentine of frills and lace throughout the year will be a most endearing gift because you gave your love to me. And another Valentine thought, and um, this also in the style of rhyme or poetry, simply called Valentine Memories by Garnett and Schultz. What have you saved in memories throughout the passing years? Perhaps a moment rich in love or one of hurts and fears. The precious thoughts that linger of laughter, sweet and true. A lasting dream of yesterday that meant so much to you. What have you tucked away, dear one, within that loving heart? A lock of hair, a picture rare, life's very richest part. A vision still to cherish, one sweet enchanting look. Perhaps a rose you gently pressed in pages 
of a book. For memories do linger as years would come and go, the pleasant ones that live and last because we need them so. Life ever holds true meaning, tomorrow's sweet and yet its lovely treasured memories we never quite forget. A couple of thoughts for Valentine's, whether it's Valentine's Day or any time of the month, well, for that matter, any time. This, of course, is the end of the football season. If you're listening at the very beginning of the month, of course, we're all hyped up for the Super Bowl. I certainly am. Uh, locally, I'm sorry our team won't be in it, but two great teams are Seattle and uh, Denver. And uh, then after that, uh, football, as we know it, is at sort of at rest. Of course, there's other functions going on, like arena football and rugby and so forth and so on. But the uh, college and NFL football, as we know it and love it, has... Uh, will be on rest for a while. So I wrote this little thing some years back called The Return of Fresh Air Sundays and uh, dedicated particularly to moms and kids who might may miss their dad during the football season. Ah, my children, shout for joy, for your father returns again for happy and carefree summer days of endless spring and summer days and on and on through the picnics to turn the lagoon into an immense imaginary oceanic voyage. The only red dog to be seen is ours. For now, at least, for a little time ahead, the stadium lies quiet and waiting and empty. Well, save for a few straying seagulls, or errant pigeons. Enjoy it while time remains for the family renewal of outings to beach, river, mountain, or backwood outings. For just as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, the summer will wane. But for now, you who are widowed or orphaned by those of us aficionados on weekends, Monday nights, and I might add Thursday nights now too, shout for joy, for football has ended. Okay, uh, hope you enjoyed those. And this, as I mentioned, is a program of the theme of legacies. And we'll read about one now. We'll stay with the subject of football too for just a little while longer. I might add that um, I read a very interesting, couple of very interesting articles uh, recently, and unfortunately I can't put my hands on them. Don't know what happened. But um, one dealt with the format for blind baseball in Italy, and the most interesting contrast between blind regular baseball in the U.S. and um, Italy is that in Italy, there are no pitchers. In the U.S., there are pitchers, sighted pitchers. And um, they uh, are 
trying to get the batter to hit the ball, not necessarily to strike them out. So whether the ball is in the air or on the ground, the pitcher is trying to put the batter at his or her best uh, position. In Italy, they throw the ball in the air and then bat at it. And then uh, if it's uh, hit, they start running toward first base with a, a caller. Uh, my question is how the totally blind would work that, but I, I guess they figured out a system for that, coaches and so forth. So a very interesting article. The other had to do with football, too. It, it uh, was about college coaches who have been fired. And uh, like John Madden said recently on a radio broadcast, he hates, hates to see coaches fired. I do, too. I uh, don't like it at all. But uh, it happens, and um, uh, the colleges owe these coaches thousands of dollars, sometimes millions, on their contract, and they have to live up to it unless they get another job immediately. Kind of an interesting perspective there. Now, the article I'm going to share with you today under sports is um, Family Building a Dynasty in Football. And this uh, article is written by John Branch, who writes quite a bit for the New York Times and other, I think, other papers. Brody Matthews. Brody Matthews may or may not become part of an unprecedented fourth generation of NFL players from his family. He is only two months old. By the way, this uh, article came out in September of this past year, so he's just slightly little older by now. We're going to try to get him something uh, a little more noble than running into somebody for a living, said his grandfather, Clay Matthews, Jr. No family has infiltrated the league the way that the Matthews have. They might be considered the menace for the uh, head-knocking set. For now, five Matthews men have played in the NFL, the National Football League, bridging three generations and including the current linebacker, Clay Matthews III. Odds are decent that um, the name of Brody, we just mentioned, will join them in the year 2033 or 2033 or thereabouts. You know there's a lord in the world that blesses you sometimes, say said Clay Matthews Sr., who was a defensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers in the 1950s. And uh, for those of you who were around then, I'm sure you remember some of the some of the great players that the 49ers had in the 50s, Joe Perry, Leo Namalini, Y.A. Tittle, Gordy Soltau, Hugh McElhaney, so on and so forth. Going on with the article, the patriarch, patriarch that is, cannot quite explain how it is that four of his uh, prodigy followers followed him to the NFL. But he believes that the numbers will grow. Are you asking me if it's 
something that I did? He said, no, it's nothing that I did, he answers. I'm just thankful to have them. Matthew Sr. and his late wife, Daisy, had five children. Among them were Clay Matthews Jr. and there's Bruce Matthews, who each played for 19 seasons in the NFL and combined to reach 18 Pro Bowls. Clay Jr. played linebacker mainly for the Cleveland Browns. Bruce was an offensive lineman for the Houston Oilers and Tennessee Titans. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2007. Each of those sons spawned yet another NFL player, and roughly in his own mold. Clay Matthews III is in his second year with the Green Bay Packers. One of the game's best players, he was named the NFL's Defensive Player of 2010. This was by Sporting News. On the other side of the family, Bruce Matthews and uh, Batch of Texas lineman uh, included Kevin, who is an undrafted rookie, or was this past season, who made the Titans and then started their last game doing so at center. According to the Pro Football Football Hall of Fame, only two other families have had three generations of NFL players, but neither had five family members play in the league. Reinforcements could be on the way. Clay Matthews' ill brother, Casey, was a starting linebacker, doing so for Oregon, and in the Bowl Championship Series title. This was in the game against Auburn, and is expected to be chosen in April's NFL draft. Among their cousins, Kevin Matthews' brother, Jake, started most of last season, and uh, doing at the right tackle was a true freshman at Texas A&M. And another brother, Mike, is in the high school, and he is being heavily recruited. The youngest boy, 11-year-old Luke, is probably going to be the biggest one, his father said. It seems that at this date, five or six generations of team might have a few Matthews on the roster. I guess once we get going on something, why, we're pretty hard-headed about it to keep doing it, Clay Matthews Jr. said. Maybe there's something wrong with us. Clay Matthews Sr. played football at Georgia Tech, and this was in the late 1940s. He was 25th round choice for the Los Angeles Rams in 1949. 
But before he heard that news, Matthew was traded to the San Francisco 49ers. His career was interrupted by the Korean War. In 1953, he returned to the 49ers for three more seasons. Matthews grew eager to get on with a business career. He worked up the ladder and eventually became president of Bell & Howell. His five children, besides Clay Jr. and Bruce, uh, now five years younger, or then, uh, of course, now also five years younger, the family included a daughter and twin boys who never knew their father as an NFL player. But they knew him as someone who encouraged competition. My dad was very clever, Clay Matthews Jr., who is now 54, said. You guys can do whatever you want, and I'll be proud of you, he would say. But whatever you're going to do, apply yourself and be responsible. Show up and do it like you mean it. For now, it is Clay Matthews III who is uh, who garners most of the attention. He was a walk-on at Southern California, and he blossomed into a first-round draft choice. Almost instantly, he was one of the league's top players. Now, he will try to help the Green Bay Packers win a Super Bowl and a championship that has eluded the family over the generations. It's fun to continue on this legacy of players that have excelled in the NFL, Matthews III said. And that is the end of the article. Well, of course, Green Bay came very close to this year, the 49ers, as most of you know, eke them out. But it was uh, they've had a good year. And, of course, their great uh, quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who played over here in Berkeley for the University of California, has done himself proud in the NFL. And the Matthews also. Clay Matthews the third, as that article has said. I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, program that we would do legacies, real legacies, and somewhat imagined legacies. And we have uh, just a few minutes uh, left to the program. So um, we'll continue with yet another article. Where Conspiracy Theories Never Die is the name of the article. And this is by uh, the person Adam Neganry. The uh, dateline is Rachel, Nevada. The little A. Lee N, and that's spelled uh, capital A apostrophe, capital L E apostrophe, capital I N N, in as in motel, uh, has been an unlikely tourist destination in the Mojave Desert for nearly 25 years, selling souvenirs dedicated to the notion that we are not alone, understandably. Nine miles 
up a nearby dirt road is the top secret military installation known as Area 51, whose murky province fueled decades and decades of speculation about extraterrestrial um, aliens and kept the UFO hunting tourists coming, or rather the top secret military installation that is uh, not Area 51, at least until recently, when the CIA now has released a classified report on the history of the U-2 spy plane, which officially acknowledged what everyone here had long known. There is a secret military, what might be called testing base, at Groom Lake, which is called Area 51. It is 150 miles north by car from Las Vegas, Nevada, in a vast expanse of utterly desolate, empty desert land and mountain range. Signs reading, quote, no gas station, next 150 miles, end of quote. The report released, this is after eight or so years of prodding by a George Washington University archivist researching the history of the U-2, made no mention of alien life, suggesting that the secret base was dedicated to relatively more uh, mundane task of testing spy planes. But no matter, even so, the little bit of vindication was welcome at Rachel. And before that, they just claimed they saw rattlesnakes, which claimed a population of a grand total of 57 in August, and where the tourists have not been coming at quite the pace they once did. The movies and television shows that once fed an international fixation with aliens secreted Area 51 from the X-Files to movies like Independence Day and Paul are with the passage of time not quite as gripping as they once were. We have a guest book, and it has gone by the wayside. Shelley, do you know where that guest book is? Or where it's disappeared to? This uh, said uh, Pat Travis, who is 70, and the owner of the Ailey Inn, asked a waitress behind the bar. Miss Travis, who then recounted being awakened one night, this was by a bright light, uh, shot from, according to what she says, UFOs, came through the center of the back door. She went on to say other things too, such as uh, 
the expected uh, CIA acknowledgement to bring a rush of uh, visitors and customers. Every time there is another story out there, people come out, she said. They want to know how to get to the area, where it is. The more there is, the more you talk about it. And the more it goes on and on, she said. Rachel was fairly deserted recently. That is, save for a family from Seattle, and they were on a drive from Las Vegas to Yosemite National Park in California that made a UFO detour at the urging of their 16-year-old Hank Revis. Uh, I guess that should be Reeves, R-E-A-V-I-S, but maybe Revis. His arms were full of Area 51 t-shirts as his father reached for his wallet. Hank said that he wanted to see for himself that very place that was featured in the movies like Paul. Asked if they would visit Area 51 itself, Hank's father, Gil, who was a retired logger, answered, yes. Hank corrected him. Well, we won't be able to get in there, Dad, he said. The observation was confirmed after the nine-mile drive up Back Gate Road, and this was to a back entrance of the base, or at least one assumes that it was the back entrance, giving the six separate warning signs, and these signs are prohibiting picture-taking of any kind or going beyond the two-guard gates. The signs promise six months in prison, and this is for trespassers. The greater threat was the truth might be of rattlesnakes that we mentioned before and the infest of the roads and trails during the hot summer months in the Mojave Desert. The report, the Central Intelligence Agency and overhead reconnaissance, the U-2 and also the occult programs that were 1954 to 1974 was released, albeit in a referendum or in a reacted form in the request of the Georgetown University and uh, doing so in uh, requested specifically by uh, Jeffrey Richland, who is a senior fellow with the National Security Archive at George Washington University. There certainly was, as you might expect, he says, no discussion of little green men here. And that's according to Mr. Richland, said in an interview. Now, this is a history of the U-2. The only overlap is the discussion of the U-2 flights and... UFO sightings. The fact that you had these high-flying aircraft 
in the air being the cause of some of the sightings. No one here seems to take themselves too seriously, but everyone is assured that aliens are here, that UFOs are dancing through the desert skies, and that the government has uh, never been straight about actually what they're up to. I never had any doubt, said Pam Mincy, who is a housekeeper here. I'll tell you something, she said. It turns out that I watch the lights every morning. I get up at 4.30, that is to see my kid to school. I know that they are there, she said. And our program legacies and uh, real and perhaps imagined, but real. Well, that's going to wrap things up this time for Bill Barker's Braille Radio Reading Room. If you'd like to correspond with me, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Please write to Bill Barker's Braille Radio Reading Room in care of Lighthouse for the Blind, and that would be at 214 Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94102. Remember that Van Ness is two words, capital B-A-N space, capital N-E-S-S. And again, the address, Lighthouse for the Blind. The whole title here is Lighthouse for the Blind, visually impaired. Just put Lighthouse for the Blind. It's good enough. In care of uh, AIS, actually it should be, 214 Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94102. Hear from you in Braille, large print or regular print, whichever medium you like to use writing would be delightful. My thanks to Greg Corrett, our studio engineer, always doing a nice job. And thank you very much for tuning in and listening to yet another edition of Bill Barker's Braille Radio Reading Room. We'll say so long until hopefully next month and uh, tune us in then. And once more, thank you so much for listening to this particular edition of Bill Barker's Braille Radio Reading Room.